0: I like dogs, big dogs, little dogs, fat dogs, doggy dogs, old dogs, puppy dogs. I like dogs. A dog that is barking over the hill, a dog that is dreaming very still, a dog that is running wherever he will. I like dogs. Margaret Wise Brown. You're listening to Jamie's Bits
1: of Jam a monthly storytelling podcast celebrating writing from Bricky Brave Gats. You may have guessed it, but this month's theme is all about dogs. Our first story comes from Reno, Nevada, written by Cassandra Kishpah, entitled Sarah and the Indifferent Force.
0: A true shame I've come to recognize in our world is the amount of unsolved mysteries out there. These things become very common in the work I used to do as a search and rescue officer. In this line of work, unanswered questions are normal, even when the question is as heartbreaking as the disappearance of somebody's loved one. I never knew the disappointing sting of officials giving up until I lost my partner, coworker, and best friend, Sarah. Sarah was my search dog. She was a beautiful German Shepherd with only a few more searches until she retired. I kept Sarah at home with me, being that her and I were quite literally inseparable. There are studies that support the idea of a dog being a part of someone's life for at least five years, being just as important as an immediate family member, that the animal's death is just as devastating as losing a child. I met Sarah when she was just six weeks, and I saw her last at a graceful age of eight years old. To say the loss of my sweet friend was unbearable is an understatement. There is an indifferent and immovable entity in the American forests. This force finds devastation irrelevant, just as uncaring as the universe is. There is an unspoken knowledge of this predator among all my peers. Though this hunter is seemingly invisible, the unexplainable misplaced things found in the woods is evidence enough. A common phenomenon is the random placement of staircases amidst the wild of untouched wilderness. These staircases are clear and are obvious as if to grab attention on purpose. It is a strange thing to see such a domesticated object unscathed and cleanly placed among the deep woods. Seeing my first was an experience on its own. I grabbed my trainer's shoulder in a sharp haste when first seeing one. It was like the one I would see in my parents' condo, carpeted and vacuumed, but it led to nothing. Listen, I tell all my rookies this. My trainer began. You'll see a lot of those. It's weird, yes, but somehow it is normal. Ignore them, do not go near them, and do not talk about them to anyone. In fact, if I hear you point one out again, our training and your job ends there. Do you understand? I had no choice but to oblige Before long, it really was just another day when I spotted them. Our dogs ignored the stairs even. It was like they didn't even see them, which is what I believed, until I saw Sarah run right up to one. It was midwinter in the northwest, so the snow was at least five feet deep. It was our third day trying to find a little boy who disappeared during a family sledding trip. Given the cold, it was inevitable we'd find a dead boy. Sarah and I had broken off. She'd suddenly picked up a faint scent. Chasing Sarah became easier since she was getting older and I was getting stronger, it being my tenth year in the field. No one could deny our sink. This time, Sarah was abnormally fast, as if we weren't on the clock. It immediately threw me off. I called for Sarah, loudly and repeatedly. She was already twenty yards away before I noticed she'd gone off. Even after calling for her many times, she'd continued her speed. As I gained on her, she would run faster. Practically screaming, I desperately ran after my partner in fear of her life, as well as my own, being I'd be very alone in a desolate wild without her. I worried she might have smelt a sleeping bear, and with that horrifying thought came a million others. It was so unlike my Sarah to run off so quickly. I felt undoubtedly doomed. So doomed, I believe I went into a shock state once Sarah left my sight. What could cause this unbelievable reaction in her? Was she suffering a stroke? Such real reasons spinning in my head kept my mind off my heaving chest as I ran full speed in snowshoes after her. After a solid mile of sprinting, I finally saw a flash of dog among the tiresome white. I nearly cried in relief until I saw a wooden staircase beneath my dog's paws. I froze in disbelief. Not only had Sarah executed one unspeakable move of running off, she had been two for two, barking excitedly up the mysterious stairs. I jumped right back into my sprint, begging Sarah to come back to me. Sarah ascended the stairs, wagging her tail as if she was greeting a friend, and then she was gone. It felt like my world was slowly falling into a hellish void, watching my dog literally vanish before my eyes. I was first painfully silent, but just as quickly as I let out a sound of despair that my subconscious couldn't even recognize. I screamed so loudly, I collapsed in exhaustion. Hours later, another crew member found me in a fetal position just feet away from the steadfast staircase. I was denied an investigation of Sarah's disappearance, so I quit the next day. I knew it was because of the stairs. After I had destroyed everything in my apartment out of fury, I lived among the destruction in a deep, hollow depression. I would stay in solitude for weeks at a time, soon becoming completely antisocial. It took years before I finally was able to shake the depression, but I could never shake the nightmares. Every other night, I had a draining night terror. It involved a cowering, whimpering Sarah shrinking away from a giant shadow. Not only was it heartbreaking to see my sweet Sarah in so much fear, but it was terrifying what noise the shadow was making. It sounded like it was saying the word eat, but in a way that it was a foreign word, like eat meant something else to the shadow. The shadow would demonically utter eat over and over and louder and louder until Sarah's whimpers were overpowered. Within just a couple minutes, I'd only see black, and louder than I've ever heard anything before, the shadow would bellow eat. At that point, I'd wake, and almost every time, I would feel like vomiting right there in my bed. I've heard stories of women losing their children and years later being able to find solace in the time it had been. But I knew I would never get over Sarah's disappearance. Every day was hard, and I lived in a confusing fear for a full year. It was midwinter again when I decided my nightmares were a clue telling me to go find Sarah myself. Something told me she was alive and living the same exact hell that I was. I was going to attempt to save her. It sounded insane, which it absolutely was, but I had to return to those woods. In just a couple days, I was back in shape and ready to trek into the White Abyss. No one knew where I was going, which was intentional. It took half a day to be as far into the forest as I was with Sarah years ago. I spent the night in the snowy wasteland and had the same nightmare. I woke up and the eat I had heard while sleeping didn't cease. I was close. I saw many staircases as I hiked along. No two staircases were ever alike, so none stole my attention until a humble wooden staircase appeared just a quarter mile away, the exact same one that Sarah had climbed up. I stepped on the spotless steps just as ignorantly as Sarah had before me. My goal was simple, to reach the top and confront whatever took my dog. It felt like hours, but finally I reached the top of the average staircase, and nothing happened. I looked below me, and there was nothing but more stairs. Nothing. My heart dropped. My hope vanished as quickly as Sarah had. I stood for a good ten minutes, silently crying for myself and contemplating my sanity. Finally, I turned around and I almost didn't comprehend what I saw. Sarah stood with her front paws on the first step, wagging her tail vigorously, panting excitedly at me, just ten steps below. I sat down immediately and gestured for my beloved animal. In slow motion, she gracefully climbed the stairs to meet me. In the distance, while euphorically watching my nightmares fade away by the sight of Sarah, I heard another human voice. It sounded desperate and it sounded afraid. It didn't phase me until Sarah was just a step away. There was something unsettling about the voice. Something was incredibly wrong, even as I felt Sarah slowly jump towards my open arms. Then I saw what I had been so disturbed by. Sprinting closer and closer into vision, I realized it was me crying out for Sarah. I was watching myself chasing after my best friend. Though the entire experience was nonsensical in theory, I felt everything wrap up perfectly in my mind. Sarah was obedient and only obedient to me, so it made sense that she had climbed the stairs before. It was because it was a futuristic me she was chasing after. It was me who lured her to her seeming death. I watched myself run closer to the stairs, though Sarah was long gone to both me and my mirrored self. I watched my own face twist into terror and cower in raw loss. It was like experiencing the whole thing all over again. Had I stumbled into a time warp? Was I a victim of a universal glitch that resulted in the loss of my Sarah as well as my sanity? My moment of confused analysis was suddenly darkened when the familiar chant began. The eat noise coming from the monster's mouth. It all became apparent instantly. It was a trap. I had been hunted by the indifferent force, even in my own home, in the form of nightmares. This unbeatable force had lured me from the beginning, using a linear timeline to bring me back here. But more disturbingly, this monster used my innocent dog to capture me. The chanting grew louder as I sat frozen on top of the stairs. A very obvious feature in humanity is our compassion compassion is a savior in pairs but when alone is deadly this ancient beast has learned this and used my most beloved pet to guide me back to my demise and its meal the chanting of eat grew louder and closer i felt like an antelope noticing a lioness beneath the brush i threw myself off the staircase i fell slowly as if it were a thousand foot drop As I fell, I looked up at Sarah looking down at me, cocking her head as if to say, where are you going? Though I knew it wasn't Sarah, rather the monster embodied as such. The feeling of hard icy ground felt like heaven on my back, but knocked me out cold. I came to in this hospital just a day ago. I've been told I was comatose for 24 hours. I've been studied by therapists and specialists. They are frustrated to find that I am sound, that I'm okay, that I show normal thinking, though I've subjected myself to circumstances that would suggest otherwise. They say if I didn't have the training I'd received in search and rescue, that I'd be dead. The irony that I find in all this is that it took me a year of crippling depression and two days of a snowy hell to finally find clarity. If I didn't know that the indifferent force was real before, I absolutely know it now. But with this knowledge came an irresistible need to know more. As soon as I'm released from this hospital, I'm returning to the deep wood. If something as crazy as the indifferent beast exists, then how unlikely is it that my poor Sarah isn't frozen in a time loop, waiting for me to rescue her? After all, there's nothing more humbling than a search and rescue gal like me needing the rescue themselves. But whether Sarah is reachable or not, I will not stop until I find out whether I escaped the fearsome force or whether it let me go. Our next short story is from Janelle
1: Jalbert.
2: Adoption Day is a selection from Flash 40 Life's Moments, a collection of flash fiction with stories all under a thousand words each. Flash 40 won the silver medal in the 2015 Reader's Favorite International Book Awards. Adoption Day is about a pup and a person finding each other, and is loosely based on the circumstances I experienced in finding my boy, Dude. And now, Adoption Day by Janelle Jalbert. There was a worn out feeling in the house. Jesse felt it for weeks. Something needed to breathe life into the place. By mid-morning on Sunday, Jesse knew what that something was. He invited his little brother out on a drive. When they got to the gas station, Jesse grabbed a newspaper and threw it in the car. "'What's this for?' his little brother asked as Jesse slid behind the wheel. "'I'm getting a dog,' Jesse replied. "'Does Mom know?' "'Nope.' Out of the corner of his eye, Jesse could see his little brother looking at him in disbelief. "'I'm not sure there's even one to get, so it's easier to ask for forgiveness later.' They stopped for a burger and sat in the car while they ate, flipping through the classifieds. Jesse wanted a lab, a yellow lab to be specific.' Two columns of pet ads yielded three possibilities, but each listed a cost of $100 to $500 each. Jesse refined his search with a simple statement, the dog needs to be free. He scanned the pages again, looking for free offers. Six used the keyword. The first two ads were too far away to consider. Two more described dogs that didn't interest him. He wanted a real dog, not a girly dog. That left two more, one listed a. Husky mix The other was a German Shepherd mountain dog mix But Jesse had no idea what a mountain dog was Jesse read the ad To his little brother I guess mountain dog is code for found in the mountains He said with a shrug I don't know His little brother offered between fists full of fries I'm going to call Jesse resolved An hour later And 15 miles from home Jesse knocked on the door of the house Matching the address the lady had given him You can come in "'The lady seemed to be in a hurry and was a bit gruff. "'We were about to take him to the pound when he called. "'She walked back in the house without looking back to see if Jesse followed. "'Jesse looked around. There wasn't a single dog to be had. "'I figured it'd be easier if we brought them out to you. "'They're in the back.' The woman walked further into the house. "'I'll let them in.' Her voice became more of a shout as she got further away. "'Their mom might be a challenge. If she doesn't warm up to you, I'll just put her back outside.' Okay, Jesse replied, though he doubted she heard. Three pups bounded into the living room, and Jesse smiled as they fell over each other. He dropped to the floor and welcomed the furry bundles of energy. The mom, a German shepherd, walked in, surveyed Jesse, and quickly circled to lounge at the other end of the room. Jesse leaned back against the chair behind him as the pups ran over to check in with mom. Then they returned to investigate Jesse. Four left, the woman stated as she sat down on the couch. The girls went quick. Only one of those left. She pointed to a tricolor in the middle of the puppy wrestling match. That one. We need some peas around here. I'm tired of dealing with them. They were surprised after Roxy here got loose. Jesse let the pup circle around and sniff him. He smiled as he watched. Well, I guess I should take the girls since we already have a girl dog at home. We've never had a boy dog before, he added. The woman talked some more, and Jesse studied the three siblings, playing wildly on the floor. He thought about his little brother, who refused to come in, still sitting in the car. Jesse knew the radio wouldn't keep him entertained forever, but the woman continued to talk. A bundle of brown fur appeared to Jesse's right. He didn't see the pup walk in with the others. Jesse reached out to offer his hand for sniffing, but the pup growled causing Jesse to quickly pull back his hand. Don't mind that one. All attitude. He doesn't like anyone. The woman dismissed the pup as it went behind the chair. Twenty minutes later, Jesse figured it was time to decide. None of the pups really latched on to him. They were more interested in each other. Well, I guess it's going to be the girl. The woman pursed her lips as if to say, of course. Jesse ignored the look and reached to bring the pup the girl pup, to his lap. Like I said, we do have another dog. She's old, but she's a good girl. We have a big backyard, and I go to the beach all the time. Jesse wondered why he went into a sales pitch about his dog-owning background. I'm looking for a dog that likes to take road trips, too, he concluded while petting the girl pup. When a bundle of fur arrived at his side, the brown puppy never hesitated. He walked straight to Jesse, pushed his sister out of Jesse's lap, plopped down in her place. Turned to give Jesse a quick lick and sat as if to say, okay, I'm yours. The woman's jaw dropped and Jesse laughed. Well, Jesse smiled and rubbed the brown puppy. I guess he liked what he heard. Jesse watched the pup melt into his lap. It looks like he's adopted me. There you have it. Sometimes, no matter what the human thinks, it's the pup that does the picking. Once again, thank you for letting me share my story, Adoption Day. If you're interested in more canine reads, please check out my magical mutt memoir, Wing Dog, Soul Pup, now available on, through Amazon. And starting in June 2016, it will be available in ebook and paperback wherever books are sold.
1: There's still more puppy love to come. Our next story is by Cassie Soliday, and it's called Dumb Pug Face. Laura is damn hot why am I being a moron shouldn't I love her by now she's smart sassy and cooks all of my favorite foods including meats even though she's a vegetarian she's so selfless I think is it me Damien wonders as he tugs tightly on a garbage bag these thoughts circulate around his head as he watches her wash dishes as he prepares to take out the garbage As Damien lifts the bag to begin his journey to the back door, rotten banana peels and days-old empty yogurt cups fall out of a hole from the bottom. So annoying. Laura giggles, which frustrates Damien more. My little fluff-puff with legs is at it again. She rubs her washcloth around the rim of a plate that minutes earlier had lasagna bits on it. Damien's eyes shoot across the small apartment to meet the tiny eyes of a pug sitting and wheezing on a couch, staring right back at him. There's some paper towels on the counter behind you, Laura points out. That pup. That dog. Damien is unsure of its age. He doesn't care. It is the bane of his existence. Right there, in the small one-bedroom apartment... Behind his girlfriend's back, he stares at this little pug and drags his finger across his neck, mouthing the words, I hate you. Roly barks an adorable little bark back at him. Laura dries her hands off after placing the last dish in the dryer rack. She walks into the living room to pick Roly up and sit in his place. Thanks for taking out the trash, babe. That is like my least favorite chore. Damien is on his hands and knees like a drooling dog cleaning up that mess that Roly caused. He scrubs the vinyl tile, cursing silently to himself as Roly cuddles with his girlfriend on the couch. Rory, speak! Bark, bark! Rory, speak in Spanish! Bark, bark, bark! Oh, you're so close! Damien takes a seat on the other side of Roly, his big little dog butt taking up the middle cushion. He doesn't know what Spanish sounds like. You're such a naysayer. Rolly is obviously trying to say barco el barco, aren't you, buddy? She picks him up and brings his wet, punched-in nose to hers. Damien witnesses as their noses seem to rub together in slow, godforsaken motion. The pebbles of moisture on his nose make contact with Laura's, and it's like pulling a slice of pizza away from the whole pie with trails of boogerish consistency trailing behind. Gross. Rowley opens his mouth to lick her nose. His long tongue barely grazes her top lip before it trails up the bridge between her nostrils, up into her nostrils, to the tip of her nose, and back to his own nose and into his mouth and she giggles. This is the only time that Damien cannot stand her adorable giggling. She rarely shares this giggle with him. It's been a long while. The tongue extends back out of Rolly's mouth and slightly into Laura's, back up over her lip, and, seriously, how can you just make out with your dog in front of me? Damien's abrupt disruption stopped the love fest, surprising Laura. What? We're not making out. This is what you do with dogs. It really isn't. You've never had a dog, so how would you know? Here. Laura bounces Rolly over to his lap and into his hands. Damien holds his 20 or so pound pup, hands under tiny pup armpits. He looks into his eyes. Rolly cocks his head to one side, his ears down in an inquisitive look. They both look at Laura as if to say, You want me to kiss this thing? Look, you told me before we moved in that you're not a dog person, so I'm not expecting you to change overnight. But you did say you would try. Laura walks over to the door to put her flip-flops on to get ready to take Rolly for a walk. Damien reaches for the leash before she can get to it. You're right, Damien says. I haven't been trying. I don't know, I, I haven't felt myself for a while. She kissed him on the cheek. Gross. Dog lips. Out on the street in the neighboring apartment complex's flower garden, Roly sits with a dandelion basically fluffing his caboose. Damien stares holes into this creature. How can she love this dandelion butthole? What am I saying? Damien is calling his girlfriend's adorable little pug a dandelion butthole, and he's not quite sure where all of this hatred is coming from. Maybe I have some problems I'm not dealing with. Did we jump into this relationship too fast? Did we move in too soon? They had moved in together shortly after he had been unfaithful to Laura. In fact, he doesn't actually remember asking to move in to her place, or if he had even broke it off completely with the other woman. After the short walk, and once Rolly had thoroughly rubbed his butt green against the neighbor's fake grass, they went inside, Laura already in her ugly pajamas that are covered in little colorful paw print patterns. Once she was into her pajamas, he knew there was nothing left to happen that night except their heads hitting the pillow. In bed, he puts his arm around her to pull her close. She looks up at him. You know, you don't have to be jealous of Roly. I'm not jealous of a mutt. She pauses for a moment. He was here long before you were and will be long after you're gone. She turns away from him. Damien was completely confused at her statement as she closed her eyes. He hadn't conceived that she may be thinking about ending their relationship. And over a stupid dog. He looks down at the bed, at the pug that sits in the doorway as if he's waiting. I hate that dog. It's late into the night, and Damien is having trouble sleeping. That dog is in his brain, rubbing his butt all over his neurons and Eskimo kissing his frontal lobe with his booger-thick nose moisture. All of a sudden, Damien is awakened by a throbbing in his back paw. He jolts awake, lying on the floor, looking up at a man who hasn't shaven in days and is wearing boxers and a holy t-shirt. He's looking up at himself. The very familiar man bends down and picks Damien up in his used-to-be-buff arms. Hey, boy, you've been really slacking lately. Let me show you how it's done. He sets Damien down in a sock drawer against the wall near the foot of the bed. Damien catches sight of himself in the mirror nearby. He's a stinking pug with little gremlin feet and a punched-in nose. There goes his body getting into bed beside his Laura, like it's supposed to be, only it's not really Damien. Baby? Yeah? Yeah? She shakes her head a little, her long bangs falling to the side of her face. I'm sorry I was a total moron last night. The man glances over at Damien's dumb pug face. I love you, and I love our little fluff puff. It's like we have a little family. Really? She opens up her eyes, less sleepy. Really? He replies. Damien's dumb pug face is so confused right now. If I'm a pug... Then who is in my body? He would never say this to her because he does not feel that way. Yet. He thinks he could someday, though. Man, breathing is difficult when you're a pug. Damien turns his head to look back at his girlfriend and his human man body that has taken on the life of its own. They're kissing. The man's tongue comes out, licks Laura's lips up to her nose, back to his and into his mouth. Barky barky says... She giggles. It's 4.34 a.m. in the morning, and Damien is a dumb dog watching his hot girlfriend make out with the man of her dreams. That's karma, he thinks. It's hard to find a man as loyal as your dog. Our final story of the evening comes from Carol Soliday entitled my best friend
3: it had been 13 years since I had a dog I grew up always having a dog and I really missed having one around for companionship for every dog I have a story to tell each one was like a family member with their own personality and they will always hold a special place in my heart sure I have had cats and I love them too but their temperaments are so different. It is more of a privilege to have, for their owners to have them around. I grew up with a love of critters, always thinking they made the best of friends and that they could be trusted more than people. I remember our first dog was a boxer. I was four years old and it was about 1967. I was crazy about playing cowboys and Indians. Doggy was so big I could ride him and chase off the cowboys and cavalry soldiers with my trusty bow and arrow while I pushed, I packed, while I packed my guns in the, my holster at my hip. I, I loved our adventures together. Growing up an only child and troubled at times, I could always share my problems with my pets. They never treated me different if I were good or bad and loved me unconditionally. One time when I was five years old, I was upset over getting the frowny faces on my schoolwork. So much so, I hid them in my desk and only brought out the smiley face papers to home. Mom and Dad thought I was so smart. I felt so guilty. I decided to share my transgressions with my dog, Rusty, a Britney Spaniel. It was with regret as Mom overheard me in the hallway and motioned for my dad to have a listen, too. Needless to say, I was in trouble, more so because I was not truthful and not because I was not doing perfect in school. Through the years, my love for animals grew. My long-lost dream was to be a veterinarian. I started out my college years studying animal science, but then my life steered me in a different direction. The past couple of years, I have longed for a dog. So many sad faces on the TV and Internet about homeless animals, day in, day out. I teared up as I could imagine how they must feel confined to a cage, after being mistreated or homeless because of irresponsible owners. So finally, after months of giving my family members my own sad face and me having to listen to their list of reasons not to get a dog since it would interrupt the cosmos for our three cats, especially Harpo, because he truly believed he was a dog, they consented to letting me have my own way. I did, however, tell my husband he could choose a dog. I am not above conniving for the right reason. It was a hideously wet and stormy day when we first arrived at the shelter. At first, we kind of thought that we would prefer an adult dog because everybody usually wants a puppy, but then I, just on the spur of the moment, decided I wanted to look at the puppies just for a good measure. The room was full of cages of liquid brown longing eyes, wriggling bodies, waggling tails. Oh, and it was so loud, barking all in unison. I wanted to rescue them all. I didn't get past their second cage and this sweet faced little coal black puppy, a boxer retriever mix. He was so darned adorable. Then my husband's voice broke through my senses and reminded me of my promise. He said, "'This is the one. She looks so sad. Her name is Roxy.' And I'm saying, "'But look at little Cole.' But then I got a glimpse of Roxy behind my husband. She lay in her cage with heavy eyelids and furled face. Boy, did she look sad.' Roxy looked like she had indeed lost her last friend. Right then, I vowed to her. I was going to save her, and she would always be loved. The next stop was the adoption process. I had to complete the paperwork since it was my idea. I was in charge of that. When I turned the papers in, the receptionist asked me my choice. She then told me that someone had spoken for Roxy but had not returned, and I would have to make a second choice, and I would also have to wait until the next week to find out for sure. It was a long weekend. I anxiously waited like I was a kid again. By the next Thursday, I was on my way to the shelter. I was so elated as Roxy would be our new family member. It has been a whole year, and she has celebrated her first birthday. She was born in an Illinois shelter to a German shepherd brought from a high-kill shelter in Oklahoma. Since then, her markings have revealed she also is part red healer. She is a bundle of energy in my shadow wherever I go. The best companion of all has filled the empty nest of my heart. When I look in her eyes, I can feel my soul melt. I was never fond of her name, Roxy, so I thought it sounded like a name of a scarlet woman. I did rename her Khaleesi, the Mother of Dragons, and only Game of Thrones fans would understand this. My wish is that everyone just rescue one pet so they could feel the love I, too, have felt in return.
0: Jammy's Bits of Jam is produced by Christina Kishbaugh and Cassie Soliday. Music by Grace Sy. Follow us on Facebook as Jammy's Bits of Jam Podcast and Twitter at Jammius Bits.
1: If you're interested in learning how to contribute to the show with your own short story based on the next theme to the podcast, please email jammiestbits at gmail.com. Until then, keep writing and embracing the most important thing that you have, your
2: voice.